0: Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast. I'm Dave Convery, with me Roger Hart. Hello. Lucy Boys. Uh,
1: Roger Hart's Ectoplasm.
0: Today we'll be talking about travel comics and trying to find a classy yet forceful portmanteau for Roger's haunted penis.
1: Dictoplasm actually works slightly better. Yeah, a little bit. Maybe. A little bit. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Uh Fuck
0: what have you been reading?
1: I've been reading all sorts. Um, did some reading for the theme this week, which was nice. The theme of
0: travel. The theme of travel. The theme of travel. The
1: travel theme. Because it's summer,
0: and people travel in the summer. The, the, I'm ostensibly.
1: Taught, I did uh, a travel.
0: I'm going to travel next month, all of it, so we're not going to do podcasts God. in September. i <laughs> have Unless not. one of you two picks it up.
1: No, I'm going away in September too to St Albans hmm? for okay. two days. For two days? Yeah. My sister's graduating. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'm just leaving the country. Yeah, no, you're Mm -hmm.
1: actually going on a real holiday. Mm -hmm. I haven't had one of those.
0: I've never been to St Albans. It might be nice.
1: It is. They have a Jamie's. We're going there. We're going to have some...
0: A Jamie's Italian? Yes, we're going to have some chain Italian food. Yeah. Okay. and You're going to go and drink Soylent with the Tech Bros? Amongst other things, yes.
1: I must tell you about that really good restaurant I went to in San Francisco. Please do. It was Chipotle. (laughs) 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 Okay. I, I went to an Italian American place that was pretty good. Um, it had meatballs, if you like that sort of thing. I do. But I don't know if they'd be the kind that you couldn't make better yourself, so. Right.
0: I do make a good meatball. Because I
1: didn't eat them, because they were yeah. made of meat. Yes. That was the main problem. I'm stalling because I can't remember what I read.
0: You read uh, a ton of. Uh, a ton of
1: Alison Yes. That's what I read. Yeah, that's what I read. Okay, let's start with that. You, so you seem to have read all of Alice. Yes, I, I did quite literally. Okay. Um, I bought a copy of Fun Home for my sister and then just read it first and then left it at my mom's house. Um, it's weird. So ha- when I read Fun Home and also I.e. My Mother before, I really, really, really liked Fun Home and I couldn't really connect with I.e. My Mother and it was the exact opposite way around this time. Which is strange, because I was thinking, you know, I hadn't gone back to fun home sort of with the whole dead dad thing. That was I was oh like, how's this going to play out? You know, this is new. Um, but the kind of the, the, the obsessions of her family and the, the particular bits of literature that she focuses on, I think Joyce in particular, and the kind of whole sort of college reading influence in it is something i'm much much further away from than when i read it for the first time when i was actually doing that kind of reading myself and i'm just kind of less interested in it now so it it's still great it's it's still really good you should still definitely read it but it didn't move me the way it moved me the first time are you my mother didn't move me the first time and it did this time i see indeed
0: well that's moved into a more similar place in terms of your own life as well
1: exactly the the therapy stuff made a lot more sense now that that's a thing that i'm doing all of the time um not and,
0: right now, I hasten to add.
1: Hey, this counts. This counts. You guys both get £40 an hour for this.
0: We really don't. <laughs>
1: Why else would you be here?
0: Just having a nice time.
1: Oh. Yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, I was more interested and more able to engage with the sort of um, history of analysis stuff, and I kind of liked the way she used Virginia Woolf's writing more than I liked the way she was bringing writing in and Fun Home. It felt like... It definitely felt like a more mature work.
0: They're both quite similar in terms of being very, very precisely structured mm. things. They are. They're both incredibly intricate in the term in the way that they weave the themes through. But yeah, I think you're right in that. I my mother is probably more coherent in the end result, mm-hmm. but I think it's also a little bit less raw.
1: Yeah, for um, sure. It's also a completely It's a very similar theme, you know, pick a parent, deal with your problems with them through the medium of literature and precision. But it's a very different thing to construct when the one you're doing it about this time isn't dead, is a reader of your work, is also engaged in kind of stuff of their own. You know, the first time she had all the problems of... It's, you know, is it wholly my story to tell, yes, it's going to affect my family, but when you do it about someone who's alive and you still have a relationship with, that's yeah. a different...
0: Well, I mean, it affected the rest of the family in the first one, and, and I think she says towards the beginning that there is another sister who, who just declined to be part of the book, and so... Um,
1: like one of the Osborns?
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just written into... You know, written into other characters where appropriate or just left out altogether.
1: Um, Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne have three children. Uh, Jack and Kelly were in the TV show, but Amy, the eldest, chose not to be.
2: Oh, right. I thought we were talking about the Green Goblin.
1: No. Okay. No, I'm talking about Ozzy Osbourne. OK.
0: I got that. You would think I'd be the person who went straight to Spider-Man, but I, I knew what, what was going on there. Um, so you also read "Likes to Watch Out for, I which did. I've never read. Oh, oh it's, it's so good. It's I you, So I think... We, Missing that means that I don't really ever think of Alison Bechtel as being a comedy writer, mm-hmm. or a funny writer in any way, because most of the stuff is just incredibly bleak and about psychoanalysis. Yes. Um, tell us about Dykes to Watch Out For.
1: So Dykes to Watch Out For is um, a, an ongoing newspaper strip that she had from the mid-'80s up until about 2008 when she stopped it to work on Are You My Mother, um, which means it does have kind of an abrupt ending as a... There are sort of character arcs that don't get resolved at the end of the book. I remember finishing it both times that I've read it, thinking, oh shit, are we done now? you get the big collection? Yeah, I got the one that you lent me last time. Um, It follows the lives of a sort of a social network of lesbians in a medium-sized American city from the mid-80s through to nearly the present day. In real time? More or less. It tracks cultural events, but it does mean that sort of... Their lives move a little bit slower than real life, but it keeps pace with political stuff. It's very political, generally, both in terms of lesbian stuff and in terms of what's going on in the world around. The main character, who kind of seems like a stand-in for her, is very, very anxious about the state of the world. You know, the sort of creeping conservative agenda is a thing throughout. There's one point, I think we're still in the late 80s, early 90s, where the main character makes a joke about this is all going so badly wrong that maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger's going to be president one day. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, awkward.
0: <laughs> Prescient, but awkward. Mm. I think there were a lot of jokes like that at the time. and yeah. He had the last laugh, didn't he? He really did. He turned, and then he went to make a Terminator Genesis and didn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's complicated how things work out.
1: So I guess something that was interesting to me, reading it this time, I was much more familiar with the sort of cultural context than the first time I didn't really have a lot of background in sort of the history of LGBT stuff. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting that a lot of the early stuff sort of lesbian feminism and feminism in general is almost exclusively trans exclusionary. The sort of introduction of trans stuff is kind of a sticking point for a lot of the characters. It's something they really struggle with and that feels like something we've shifted quite a lot on now that feels like a subset of feminism Mm -hmm. that some people can have over there in a way that it seemed to be a lot more mainstream then
2: right yeah there was a bit of that in um, uh, Pregnant Butch as well just Mm. this kind of slight negotiation around where the trans identity stuff fit into a, a lesbian identity or lesbian feminism
1: I guess the other thing I found really interesting was the expectation on the part of those characters that sort of living as an out lesbian was had a bunch of other political baggage tied up with that and that was very left-leaning and very liberal and had a particular agenda and again the characters feel quite betrayed when there are now gay conservatives and you get a gay conservative (laughs) character coming in towards the end and she's young and she's just mind-blowing to the people who almost had to turn to the leftist radicalism because that was the only way to be an activist and to express that identity at the time and I guess, again, that feels like something that's quite different now, particularly for younger people coming out. There's no expectation you'll have any particular politics tied up in your sexual identity. I feel it's
0: easier here as well, where the political spectrum is decoupled from religion mm. a little bit more.
2: There's still lot wholly, but more so than in the States. Mm. There's still a lot of angst and confusion, and there's still... Um, so one of the things that you see is... That gay male culture has accepted, I can't speak at all for British lesbian culture. Gay male culture, as acceptance has just become more significant, has centerized and become a bit more sort of safe and consumerized and less radical yeah. and middle class um, to the point where, was that? I don't really want to go off and on one about respectability politics, but that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the thing. And, and therefore crept right. Yeah. lagging a little bit behind the ambient Overton window
1: mm-hmm. but you see you kind of you get to follow that journey in the American scene from mm. mid 80s to now and it's it, as an educational tool it's kind of interesting mm. here's a snapshot of what it was like to be living that life from you know 86 to 2008 for at least some people that's it's kind of a useful artifact yeah. in that sense plus it's really fun it's
2: it's an interesting companion to I guess the boy version which is Wendell -hmm. The um, Howard Cruisers. Same idea, newspaper strip. There seems to be a,
0: a theme of people doing, newspaper strips for as long as they can, and then churning out their big important work. Mm. At least it's a way of getting work. It's the model.
1: That's that's how you do make it economically viable.
0: paper or at least it used to be. Mm,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also, newspapers won't pay you shit to do comics anymore. I would. No,
0: they will not. No,
1: not at all. Because nobody will pay shit to read a newspaper anymore. Yeah, they don't have any money. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, did I read anything else?
0: You did. You read. I mean, you read a few things that are on theme mm-hmm. for travel. Do you want to talk about those later?
1: Yes, I do want to talk about those later. There was well, the well, hold
0: on. oh, in a flat land.
1: In a flat land, which we both read. Yeah, that's which the I richest should probably one thing. segue into it's Rogers
2: sort, sort talking of about it. Uh, okay.
0: can, I, can I just, while we're bringing Roger in, can I interject and say that I've. I'm not very happy with this one, but Thing Wraith. You could have Thing Wraith for your haunted cock. Now carry on.
1: No, I like that. It's got legs.
0: <laughs> Hundreds of them.
1: <laughs>
2: you, you wouldn't believe. I really
0: feel like there should be some way to portmanteau Phantom and Phallus, but I've not got it so far. So tell us about In a Flat Land.
2: I would just like to reassure our readers that my penis is not haunted
1: no one's reading this the ghosts are interfering with your mind
2: <laughs> yeah
0: this is this is uh, audio that's why there's a microphone
1: <laughs> sorry I think it's probably because I wrote the um, blog it's post it's a ghost phone the, the... all they will hear is what your ghost says
2: <laughs> I think I probably got a bit um, confused because I wrote the, uh, the blog post earlier in the week but um... sorry what was the question
1: in a flatland.
2: tell us yes. about in a flatland. so land. it's the chap we were talking about in the last podcast it, it is Richard Swan isn't it yes yes, yes. Um, from somewhere in Cambridge and In a Flatland is a thing about a kid that goes for a walk which is why I sort of filed it in under travel and then some shit happens with a windmill there's a windmill and I'm not totally sure how to describe the ending
1: I guess the I'll be up front, I didn't really like it. No. Partly because there were just nowhere near enough words and I need words to make sense of things. The, I really struggle with wordless. The art itself was not... It was, it was not... The lines were clean, but there was so much different messy stuff going on that I couldn't actually tell what was going on half the time. I found it so hard to follow as a narrative. All oh, right, Just in the pictures. Just the, the way it was did not intersect well with my brain. I also just don't care about children going on voyages of discovery. Fair. But there was a roast beef cameo which did kind of redeem it somewhat.
0: You mean the character roast from beef from Akewood? He not. was on
1: the back of a cereal box. And there wasn't just roast beef. No, that wouldn't redeem anything it particularly. It it's it's redeemed it's my lunch, murder. it was pretty
0: great.
1: a <laughs> <Murder> lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: Okay, so I actually really liked it. Um, I the did brisket find or the comic? Both. Okay. Um, I did find it, um, find it quite hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Again, I really struggle with wordless. And as the pages got more full of stuff, it yeah. got harder to follow. The um, the clean line, sort of gentle progression stuff, the first half of it, is the kids wandering through the fens and encountering weird things in the landscape. And then there's that sort of slight children's book magic of, yeah, finding the weird derelict windmill with the thing in it that turns out to be the windmill. So by modifying the model, you modify the thing outside, the kind of... It's been done before, but I thought this was a nice one of those.
1: I just, there's... You've got to have a certain capacity to give a shit about childlike innocence and joy and interacting with the world to be able to take this kind of thing on board I think Mm. and I don't have that I don't have much so yeah I don't know whether this is maybe a temporary thing but (laughs) I just don't care fuck off with your discoveries and your little magical spark in your otherwise dull uninformed life. I'm projecting at this point. How is it <laughs> you spark? don't
0: like Chris Ware?
1: I not say Christmas I don't like that either.
0: <laughs> no, I know why you don't like Christmas. I've seen your tweets from home.
1: Um, it's okay most those people are dead now. very clear. Right. <laughs> Chris Ware Now he's, he's, he's the other end of the spectrum too pre-jaded for me to want to give a fuck.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> you, you, you basically want narratives of people starting out with not much of a spark at all and getting somewhere where they really just don't give any sort
1: of fuck. I just want a basically a blank canvas I can project all of my own <laughs> bullshit onto and those two things don't give me that. Well, uh, it's basically, actually, Alison so Beckel is closer. Yeah. It's cognitive dissonance problem. It's this thing reminds me that I'm not fully human in the ways that I ought to be, and that's quite jarring for me, so I turn some hate onto it. That
2: seems like a pretty harsh judgment. <laughs> I mean, I think you might be kind of being a little unpleasant to yourself, which I appreciate is part me? of the pattern.
1: <laughs> but...
0: So, Richard, if you are listening, you've broken Lucy. Well, you've not made her any
2: better.
1: broken to begin with. <laughs> Let's move on. This is horrifying. Let's
2: move on. I did, think, I did think it was charming. I thought it was easier to follow than the one. Anyway, that's the thing. It's sort of travelling, but it, it goes funny, but the, you the thing... You don't need
0: to justify yourself to me. No, but
2: the thing that I, the thing that I thought was so the reason I filed it in for this one is that the... Before it becomes a story about a weird meta-windmill and some stuff that might be grain, it looks... But it might be rainbows. Maybe. It, it, looks, um, it looks like a sort of interestingly thwarted portrayal of trying... But I thought it was that it didn't turn into... Was a kid trying Wainwright to Wainwright's Guide to the Fens Well no A kid trying to have A magical adventure mm. Of self-discovery Where he finds A fucking Fluffy unicorn Cloud bastard Or you know One of those children's yeah. sort of stories About a kid going on an adventure But being completely thwarted By the unflinching Dourness of the Fens
1: Actually it, The bits, were, the bits
2: where the Fens Were dour I really yeah. enjoyed it's I recognised Some of the decks. landscape And it the kid tries to play poo sticks and it just doesn't work because mm-hmm. the fens are inherently too boring for the river to flow fast is enough Is that for what happen. was happening?
1: I just couldn't see it with my eyes That's what I thought
2: was happening, I might be wrong
1: You probably were right, I couldn't, I couldn't pass that image And there was still a little bit of interest to it It wasn't, as the
2: saying all the fens were too boring isn't quite the thing They were weird and strangely resistant to childlike magic and then it broke into childlike magic
1: Maybe that's why I like the fens so much Possibly But yes, no, I think, I think I also it was I'm the... very
2: fond of eels
1: I watched a YouTube video of someone skinning an eel once, and the noise has haunted me ever since. It sounds like Velcro from flesh.
0: There's got to be something we can relate to, or I just haunted cock
2: here. <laughs> <laughs> this is well, your revenge, isn't it? <laughs> this is. this, this. This Jennifer light motif is your petty, <laughs> petty
1: vengeance.
0: A lot of things that I do are my revenge, and a lot of things you do are your
1: revenge. What about Montezuma's revenge?
0: Mm, not currently.
1: Mm.
0: No. I mean, I'm fairly sturdy of track.
1: That's true. Says so Roger. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, it's only me, isn't I it? I'm the man who's hard to gastrically unsettle.
1: Okay. the hashtag button trouble.
2: It's one of the hashtags. So in a flatland, tickled me, didn't you? Mm, Fair enough. enough. Yeah. What else did you read? What did I read, Mister Dave?
0: Why are you asking me? You read glacial period. I
1: did, <laughs> yeah. oh, and you God, wrote so about good. it, and Spam I bought out, it. Like, Two thousand ghosts. So you it actually
0: did. convinced me to buy it,
1: yeah, which is impressive. Thank you. I got a quid.
2: Oh, fuck you. Um, well, it was about one. No, it was less than that. But you, you put know.
1: your own tracking on it, rather than the consequential yeah. tracking.
2: Well, it's easier, it's quicker to generate.
1: Of course. <laughs> But well, it is. I'd have to manage it. You'd have,
2: it have to reverse engineer and, yeah. it from one of the existing ones. And they add an extra tracking token, and I don't know if it still works. So I could just put in the account ID. But anyway. Um, as long as this someone's is getting really, some money really Like, people do not need to know about URL structures. No, they, they really shouldn't. Right. Um, so if you want to know what I think about glacial period, you can just go and read um, 1,376 words about it on but the blog. it's web. probably quicker
0: to listen to this hour-long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You can't.
2: Yeah. Um, so basically, it's. D- do we just want to leave it for the article, or should I go, do a quick rep- do a quick
0: quick thing? Try and pique people's interest,
2: tickle um, their fancy. On the one hand, it's a book about future archaeologists trying to discover the present. On the other hand, it's a book about a talking dog that wants to find love and on the other hand it's about how you interpret and interact with art and types of curation and ownership of artistic experience. Guess which one I give a shit about?
1: Talking dog. And you t- had t- me <laughs> a talking dog.
2: Talking dog with a weirdly prominent butthole.
0: Yeah, I noticed that just flicking through. Like the, the artwork is, is beautiful. It's, it's just gorgeous. beautifully painted on really thick paper and it's sort of they've, they've done nothing to digitally retouch it. You can just sort of see the paint soaked into the paper. I was flicking through thinking this is marvellous this is beautiful why is that dog wearing glasses Or oh, that's an asshole. that's an asshole. that's an arsehole you, of, you lot guys
1: of, you guys talked about a dog's bum hole and you instantly both shot me a look as though any mention of <laughs> it is human or canine would just thrust us into my domain yes canine oh. um,
2: so the, um, the future archaeologists find the Louvre and they've uh, Europe is frozen it's under layers of ice it's the far future everything's a wee bit fucked uh, they don't know what they're looking at. They make attempts to parse it. They think it's a great house or maybe a bordello. They try to reconstruct the history of Paris by putting the paintings in order. That's the kind of that's the fun part, and it shows lots of bits of the collection. And the talking dog gets lost and turns up to be able to talk to the exhibits, and they give him a different version of history, and then eventually they all escape on a magic transcendental collage dog. It's... It... It... it It goes off the reservation pretty fucking sharpish. But artistically, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's just one of the most beautiful things I've read all year. Um, The narrative trips along, it's full of interesting art tidbits. And I guess in as much as it's about anything, it's about ways of approaching art, how much context you do or don't need, ways of curating participatory experiences of museums and collections, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I expect my when I get to read it, my experience is probably going to be quite different as I'm less steeped in the art it's referencing.
2: Well, I think, but that's
0: but that's so, part of it. That's yeah. going to be that's that's something that. And one of the
2: things I loved it. about it is that the jokes aren't constructed to um, price you out of that. Hmm. So. The, where there it was is, commissioned by the Louvre. Or was yeah, that? there's a series of books called the Louvre edition Collect- or Louvre collections. Uh, there are four or five of them, which are different artists interpreting the Louvre in different ways. This is, by all accounts, the weirdest. Um, <laughs> That's straight. So there are things like when uh, one of the characters is putting the paintings in order to try and tell the story of Paris. And one of the things, if you do know the stuff, that kind of, it's kind of funny about it is just how obviously the styles are in the wrong order and the periods are. But the joke doesn't depend on that because the story is independently ridiculous, and the misreadings of the paintings are farcical based on what's in them, much less what you might may or may not know about mm-hmm. them as an art historian. So you it's well layered, and I think one of the things that underscores I think it in as much as it has an argument, I think the argument is that curation shouldn't be po-faced and dogmatic, and that experience should be participatory, that what you take away as an interpreter is equally valid to it, it's quite aggressively postmodern in that sense. Um, also, it's a talking dog. The horse. Mm. Quite aggressively postmodern. It really is, mm-hmm. yes. Well, the talking dog is called Hulk as well, named after the incredible Hulk, which the future archaeologists think is one of our gods. It's quite aggressively postmodern.
1: Mm. I really want to read it. It's beautiful.
2: Ooh, excellent. Um, and yeah, you can, you can read some, some words about it on, on the blog. Uh, what else have I read? I uh, can I just interject?
0: Spectre, but it's like it's spelled like pecker. It's better written down.
1: Spectre. Speck is in the ham and then ter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought bringing an Alpine ham. So it sounds the same. Pass
0: this written down because. But it, it reads differently. It's a very nicely cured ham, speck, but also spectre for your haunted cock. Tell us about mind management. No Please Shan't. Go on
1: Would you rather tell us about something else instead?
0: Would you rather we called
2: a priest?
1: What? He'll do stuff to your pecker It may be he an was... exorcism <laughs> You're probably not young enough anymore oh, God,
2: you people You fucking people uh, My Management Volume 4 is another volume of My Management And good as it is and beautiful as it is It's kind of treading water And I don't think it's a good deal to say And I know that's super unkind But My Management has this problem which is that the first volume is an amazing, slightly tongue-in-cheek, spooks and conspiracy and the grungy underbelly of post-MK ultra-dystopian... I can't end that sentence, but you know where I'm going with it. Um, Spooktown. As you will.
1: Is that another term for the penis? No. <laughs> no.
0: It's more of a spook hamlet.
1: That Hamlet, we can work some ham jokes in here as well.
0: (laughs) This is genuinely ghastly. She
1: turned out to be female. Was that a pun?
0: Hmm. It's only a pun if you know the origins of the word ghost.
1: (laughs) He's making that face because he does. It's ghast is quite
2: a common term for ghost, ghoul, or mystical occurrence. That's that's not. It absolutely is. Do you know? It's almost like you people don't respect me at all. Um, Once the first volume of Mind Management Which is brilliant Is played out You don't really need any more It ends really well It's fine And then there's volume two Which kind of feels like The overextended second series Of the Like The HBO drama That was great
1: The flabby bits of community
2: Yeah it just doesn't
1: all the stuff you know and love, are just not quite as tight as it used to be. Yeah, though. basically, I think two and four are basically
2: are effectively filler. Three does something novel and is genuinely good, and I fully expect five to be a great conclusion.
0: Three is the suburban housewives one, well, yeah. isn't
2: it? But I think five's out today. I think it's certainly soon. Bingo! But the ones that are, but two and Bingo, four indeed. are just meandering around. So they're all of these agents with psychic powers from a failed mind control and espionage program. And the wreckage of it is vaguely being put back together. Um, And we are trying to recover what happened in the past, and there are some personal stories wound through it. And in Volumes 2 and 4, various sets of characters recover some of that past, reprise some of the story structure from the first volume, and revisit different of the mind management agents with different weird powers. And it gives you a structural device, but it's a bit Monster of the Week. It's not... Mm. It's... If that's, what, if that's where it started, if that's all it was, an ongoing series about that, it would be sensational. But the first volume was so tight and so well done. And the third volume also turned out to be quite interesting in some very different ways. So, so they shot themselves on two by doing one well. Yeah, which is not fair, right? It's not really fair for me. Two is two is good, four is good, they're nowhere near as good, and they kind of feel like you could do without them. Mm. Um, I also read Gidliel Shenzen while I was on holiday. We'll talk about that later. I read Craig Thompson's Carnet de Voyage, we can talk about that later. Um, I've read this week's Wiktiv, but we always talk about Wiktiv, so I'm not going to.
0: You've it was good, and people learn a lesson about yeah.
2: the internet not being a dick. It was a bit on the nose. I thought it was quite nicely handled. It was very I mean, sensitive. it was very
0: explicitly, we're just talking about being a dick on the internet, but...
2: For a thing that is very explicitly about talking about being a dick on the internet, it was a well-done one of those. Yeah.
0: It kind of felt like an episode of G.I. Joe where everything's about teaching children a lesson, but... (laughs) But in a
2: really well-done way until Lotus art continues to be spectacular. Yeah. Um, What else did I read? I've forgotten. Sam, Robot Hunters. Oh, yeah. You weren't impressed?
0: That's that's good.
2: So is the first volume, Sam After Man. Um, it was one of those cinebook things where they can't make up their mind about how many they're going to sell and how to print it. So the first volume is basically on toilet paper with colours that don't work, and then the second one is glossy and well printed. Mm. Um, first one, fairly standard post-apocalyptic thing, teenagers, killer robots, and an aesthetic slightly too heavily borrowed from the future, from the grotty future world in the Matrix. Second volume. Doubling down on that, less good writing, it's... I'm not going to be buying volume three. It's not bad, bad, it's just relentlessly uninspiring. Which is a pity, because the artwork is incredibly talented. It's slightly manga-y, good robot... It's a really, really good execution of some very boring visual ideas. The, uh, the guy is... It's Richard Maserano, Marazzano? Marazzano. Marazzano. Um, really good at light, the light work is good. Mm. Like Not... Um, not Black Sad, good, but it's bloody good. Uh, it, it's just there's not a lot to get excited about there.
1: Must be what it's like working in a sort of mid-tier advertising agency or something. Just you're bringing to life with talent someone's mundane ideas. Yeah,
2: and you can be absolutely nailing it, but you've still done a slightly shonky commercial for soap.
1: Mm. Have you tried nailing soap to cleanse your haunting?
2: Yeah. Oh. You need to use holy
0: water at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. My grandmother used to flick holy water at me whenever I swore.
0: Why did she have holy water? From
1: lords. Her family brought it for her, probably for this express purpose when they visited. To
0: cast out your demons.
1: More or less. Right. Do you have any left? Why is the
2: cricket gun consecrated? I she
1: still does.
2: Ah. <coughs> no.
1: Sorry. Sorry. Sorry.
2: What? That was a terrible fucking joke. Yeah. Really <laughs> it just awful. didn't work.
1: I'm not doing well Why today? is Madonna's
2: daughter haunted? I'm not doing well today because you have thwarted me.
0: You're doing better now than when you get home and start yelling the power of Christ compels you somewhere at your waistband.
1: <laughs> Who's to say I don't do that regularly anyway? So, Dave, what have you been reading?
0: I have been reading Golemchik by William Exley, which is another of the little no-brow um, mm-hmm. books. I was indicating the size of it there for... Our listeners at home or in the car or wherever it is you listen to this and cry it was a little um, fish rather yeah. than a
1: big fish or a cardboard box yes
0: it was well it wasn't swimming so Golemchik is uh, probably what you were expecting from um in a flat land it's a small boy on adventure sort of um basically summer holidays walking into the woods trying to find you know something to do because the bigger boys have left them behind And in putting a hat on a pile of rocks, it animates it into a huge, very clumsy golem. Um, And essentially, it's about them hanging out in the woods and the golem destroying things.
1: Um, Do you have a thing about golems? Not really. Okay.
0: Why? They just seem to come up in works that you read. I think this is like the second thing ever. Okay, okay. That has a golem in it. Unless you count a lot of RPG
1: source books from the early 90s and mid-80s. You strike me as a golem enthusiast, just in your demeanour. I've been to Proud quite a lot. Yeah. Um, they had a golem. They did?
0: Uh, know very...
1: China-ville books?
0: Not that I've... Not in anything I've read. Hmm. Uh, Sorry,
1: this is a golem a derail.
0: It's a bit of a golem digression. Um... But it's, it's that sort of thing. It's sort of small boy in magical landscape, and it doesn't work out particularly well for anyone. It's a very, very short book, because these are all sort of 25, 30 pages. Um, but it's lovely. It's beautiful pastel artwork in a really nice cartoony tone, um, and just the right hint of menace for that sort of thing. Um, it's got that sort of childlike... Gosh, this is a brilliant thing that is mine and exciting, but obviously carries quite a lot of danger down really well. I thought it was
1: nice
0: I thought it was mm. fun. Some something someone to watch.
1: Is it um, typically beautiful?
0: It's um I mean I really like the style. It's very very um uh cartoonish. It's quite similar to I and mean, cartoonish isn't quite right because it's got that sort of graphic designery edge to it. This there's, there's, it's deliberate um, it sort of remi- even though the art style is different it reminded me of Vacancy which I talked about a couple of episodes ago um, it's quite posed quite sort of self-consciously designy but but pretty and good I liked it good I read Wolf um,
2: this is is that this is Alice Cott Alice Cott yeah with and it M- Matt Matt Taylor.
0: Taylor
2: who is very talented
0: yeah so he did um he, he's a graphic designer as well typically and he's just um, he's sort of been moving towards comics um, he's been doing sort of posters for Mondo and he did a book which came out thought bubble last year called The Great Salt Lake
2: oh that's um, him
0: that's him which is about a, uh, a man adrift in the sea a great salt lake and the things he encounters while he's adrift
2: yeah I struggled to care about it but it was very pretty it is very
0: pretty um, and yes, this is him with um, Alice Cott. And it's about a private investigator whose name is Wolf, with an E, who is an ex, uh, ex-soldier, ex because it's Alice Cott. He's kind of obsessed with the military-industrial complex and what it does to people. Um, that's kind of his thing. Um, and uh, it's very much a sort of weird L.A. Um, detective story. It starts out with the main character walking down the hills just outside LA, into the town, singing whilst completely on fire.
2: Um, he really is just the sexy millennial Warren Ellis, isn't he? There is a bit of that, yeah. <laughs> there is a bit of that. Um,
0: he's an attractive young man. He is. Particularly now, the line with is, has cleared up.
2: It has. I mean, he's also a very good writer, but
0: he's, I mean, I, I find his stuff patchy. I didn't really enjoy Zero, but I know a lot of people who did. And I sort of appreciate what it was as a a launchpad for various different artists. Um, And I think Wolf's going to be the same thing. It's going to go off on different tangents, but Matt Taylor is the main artist on it.
2: Sounds like kind of, I don't know, a bit of Constantine, a bit of Sandman Slim, a bit of a a lot of things. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's a lot of things that sort of draw on the off-kilter L.A. gumshoe sort of thing, and it's very much in one of those... He's a werewolf, there are various people out there who um, uh, wish to use his uh, seeming immortality for their own ends. There's a great scene where he's trying to tease out um, whether the, uh, very, uh, the explicitly awful millionaire is just hired him is racist against werewolves or black people, um, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, what was the, the, the sort of the L.A. apocalypse thing that he did a while ago?
2: Do you mean change?
0: No. are still talking remember? about Alice Kong? Yes. I thought it was change. Was it change?
2: The thing where there's like a pseudo cthulhu thing rising out of the bay and there's yeah. an, an astronaut and it's change. Yeah. Oh, it's change. Okay. Which has terrifying art, amazing colours, a borderline incoherent narrative and is an absolutely storming read. This feels like a companion piece to that. Mm. Um, I think he... So there was something on Twitter or somewhere on the internet where he referenced it being associated yeah, through, I some, I think, through some tentative nods rather than a
0: definite narrative connection. Oh yeah, connection. I mean it's again, it's in LA, it's vacuous, the supernatural goings on. Hmm. There's a squid-faced porn star, cool. um, who is uh, you just love yeah, the squid c- 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 yeah, yeah. cultist of some sort. I mean, nothing in the first issue really sort of made me went yes, this is fucking amazing. But there is enough going on that's in the sort of realm of stuff that I like. That I'll probably continue for at least another couple of uh, another couple of issues. There's some good characterisation. Um, I should take there a There's the potential for a lot of weirdness to happen, and yeah, the artwork's great. Matt Taylor is genuinely good, and he seems to have taken to comics mm. um, really well. Like sometimes when people come from a design background first and foremost, they're not really picking up on comics as as in the way that's designed and constructed as opposed to a series of images in order. But that doesn't really seem to be the case. So cautiously recommended If you like Alice Cott's previous stuff, or you like detective stories or weirdness, it's a good one.
1: That probably covers most of our listeners, I'd say. It probably
0: does, yeah. What I'm trying to say is that it's good pulpy fun. Mm-hmm. And it may well be something better than that, but it's kind of hard to tell at the moment. <laughs> Last thing I read was um,
2: Swords of Glass by Sylvin...
0: I hope that's pronounced correctly, and uh, Laura Zuccheri.
2: Is this part of the sort of glut of slightly off-kilter Euro stuff that's sloshing around at the moment?
0: Yeah. So we, we were talking about this the other day. There seems to be a ton. Like Euro, European comics seem to be more visible now than mm-hmm. they were. In back- so
2: for mm-hmm. my hypothesis, which I think you possibly share, is that yeah, we said it at the same it, time. Yeah, it's it's not actually anything in the industry. It's just that Zena Bakta is recommending a lot of European stuff, and everyone reads comics and cola.
0: Yeah, I think that
2: might be a large part of it. Um,
0: but this this is something that I did pick up from there, and it's a um, fantasy story. It's, it reminds me more than anything of, like, 1980s cartoons, you know, the sort of French-Japanese um, co-productions that were about, like, um, ancient cities of gold. There's a sort yeah. of Mayan-esque uh, tribe, and uh, they're being thoroughly, thoroughly oppressed by... Some other race. It's it's very very low on exposition. Yeah, you really don't know that much about the world by the end of the first volume. Um, But there's there's basically the big bad does some big bad things and leaves uh, a small girl alone alone and parentless. And when a glass sword falls out of the sky and embeds itself into things, no one else can pick it up but her. Mm. Thus starts adventure. She finds an ancient or an uh, an edging mentor. Um, as you do, as you do, and uh, sets out on revenge. But heart, ah, they also need the swords to stop the sun destroying the earth, which is going to happen in thirty years. They need four of these swords to step into a
2: parallel universe where this isn't going to happen. Um, Little bit form, like formula heavy, but yeah, I'd, but that stuff can still be fun. I mean, I loved um, Brass Sun, and that's exactly the same premise.
0: It is, it is formula-heavy, and um, when I say it, it reminds me of those 80s cartoons, it's with the narrative leaps and the slight characterisation in place. Mm-hmm. The, thing to, the thing that sells it is the artwork, which has some just fantastic bits of design that are never explained. It has genuinely new ways of presenting fantasy worlds that are mm-hmm. based off sort of recognisable... Tropes, medieval knights and giant walled cities. Um, There is genuinely new stuff in there, and the mounted beasts that they use are terrifying. There are half horse, half lion things, and um, things that just look like giant people um, with huge, elongated limbs that they stride around Mm -hmm. on. It's 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 something like if you like um, Mobius or the other weird. Uh, science fiction fantasy stuff that humanoids um, often deal in yeah humanoids the publisher not humanoids things that resemble humans <laughs> although they are both um,
1: and they do often deal in those they things. do
0: it's it's definitely worth look it's very expensive as a book it's really really cheap on kindle if it's something you want to check out I'd recommend looking up the artwork it is
2: pretty stunning comics on kindle can be a bit of a pain though because the apps can be awful uh, it's fine on the iPad mm. um, it looks like an absolute bag of dicks on Surface.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that. It seems to play in a tiny window in the middle of the screen for some reason. It's just a really shitty piece of
2: software engineering.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you have an iPad as opposed to a Surface, I would cautiously recommend that. And let's be honest, you do. Um,
1: but what about your Android device? Uh, oh, God, do do actually represent the, the three tribes.
0: We do, yeah. Suck. Fuck. Yeah.
1: I'm the green blob guy, you're the fruit, and he's also the fruit. I'm <laughs> sorry. Haunted dicks, and now a hate cry. Yeah. A little
2: bit of a hate cry. Just, yeah. just
1: shop me in. Call the police.
2: So, the loose theme for this time around was travel, because we were going to do this when we got back from bits of
1: holidays. Holiday and, Various and what holidays.
2: And so, I was supposed to go travelling and read some travel comics, and I didn't really. No, you yeah. um, fucking and also, you know, travel feels like a, a, we a... We well, there to, are a lot of travel comics. Yeah, and we haven't really covered many, but... I don't know, I... I've only, I've only sort of dipped in a little bit, so I've read a couple of Gideleil things, I've read um, you know, Shenzhen and Jerusalem, My Carne de Voyage, a couple of other odds and ends... Um, Given that I normally try and contort the theme section into some kind of bullshit thesis, and given I've done almost none of the homework, I don't really have a lot to go on this time round. But I don't think it's going to surprise or wow anyone to say that there seem to be two broad strokes categories of, look at this place I went, and use this place I went to look at me.
1: It's interesting. So I read an article, which was not a comic, about the difference between male and female travel writing and basically the hypothesis that the author of the article put forth was that the sort of grand old school of men doing travel writing is a man goes to a place in the sort of the guise of the explorer and finds and there are often natives and customs to observe and it's a bringing a strange land home hmm. whereas the sort of more modern women who do travel writing go to the sort of eat pray love stuff go to a place and use that to talk about themselves and the kind of hy- the, the sort of culmination of the hypothesis was that it is to some extent because the only thing women are allowed to be experts on is their own own individual experience whereas men are allowed to be experts on pretty much anything they want so I can see that slicing in another way though um, so I mean that's yeah like, totally
2: believable especially the delineation of what women are allowed to talk about mm. think, which is clearly just ambient in the culture um, but there's a two axis thing there maybe, I'm making this up as I go along but the, the male explorer model um, or the um, even more terrifying male model explorer um, or the report and bring home collector model like Ruskin's stuff mm-hmm. about Venice or what have you uh, god that fucking would be my go to travel route. what an asshole. um it's okay, we can yes. have self other like in the pub later. Is from, yeah, from the go-to-a-place-grab-a-thing, but it's from an older tradition where there's a... Whereas something like Carnet de Voyage, mm. which is modern male, goes to place, points to self, Yeah, has platform to do so, is a bit self-involved. Lovably so, but colossally self-involved. Um, On the
1: borderline of lovable for me, but...
2: And I wonder, I haven't seen this, because I don't think any of the travel comics I've read have actually been by women, somewhat embarrassingly. Um... I wonder if... I wonder if go to a place and talk about me in a more modern mould versus go to a place and talk about the place might also come down on gender lines because men mm. get cut more slack for titting on about themselves whereas women, uh, whereas a, a travel comic by a woman would get flack for not talking about the place.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think it's interesting I'm hypothesising. It's interesting that in comics this has played out particularly with the Gilil and the uh, Craig Thompson stuff as man goes to a place and uses place to reflect on self which... Mm. It seems like
0: a... To Talil to a certain... I mean, certainly with Pyongyang, he's doing Look at the Weird Culture.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Pyongyang feels...
1: But, the, but Look at the Weird Culture is always juxtaposed right. against and I'm this white mm-hmm. guy from a Western culture stuff that's kind of inescapably linked yeah. in perspective.
2: It's really interesting to look at um, Shenzhen Delil's thing about working for an animation studio in Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. Um, next to the first third or so of *Carne de Voyage, which is Craig Thompson being fucking miserable in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got different types of savage economic inequality and feeling a little bit out on a limb because you're a Westerner in a culture that's very semi-hostile and somewhat intractable and all of that jazz. Mm-hmm. And they both have kind of a miserable time. Yeah, But Thompson manages to be tongue-in-cheek about his self-pity and bring a bit more joy in at the edges, mm-hmm. whereas Shenzhen is basically just an extended whinge about how fucking awful industrialising China is, and it's just astoundingly tone-deaf. I mean, if I, I imagine that Shenzhen as a place is bloody grim,
1: but... I, can, I, kind, of, I kind of wonder if there's a it's new... It's not like you
0: would complain about going to Biggles way, is it? Well, you would, but you wouldn't Sorry. get a book deal out
1: of it. Sorry. Uh, there's a new thing that... Almost, uh, sort of men. Men are now allowed to talk about their feelings, and thus they have kind of, particularly in comics, been able to occupy the own experience slot that women have taken, maybe in mainstream literature. I don't know how yeah, that works. That's, that's plausible. Well,
0: Lucy Nisley um, mm, does mm. similar things. So there's um, French Milk, which it was her first book. Um, I couldn't stand it. That's okay. You're allowed to not stand. No, it. I know. There's a lot of
1: things I've not been standing today, though. I feel kind of bad about. So
0: you read it. that like two years ago, and you couldn't stand it.
1: Yeah, I just it was again felt maybe maybe it was me, and I can't remember it well as well as I'd like to, but maybe it was me coming at it from a perspective of wanting. More from that than I actually got. It was kind of too close to the. I'm going to go to the place and complain about my personal problems stuff. Maybe that's you know we we are kind of the sort of the hypothesis. The hypothesis that sets Eat, Pray, Love against men's travel writing suggests that that's a lesser and a bullshit thing to do but actually maybe it's a viable way for women to describe their experience but it was just so whingy I didn't want to hear clear that you about how bullshit, she though, felt right? yeah it is bullshit because you know you go to an ashram to hang out with other western people and that's your experience of India and that's how you find yourself, that's mm. fuck off but I couldn't deal with the self-absorption
0: that's fair enough, I mean it's someone in their early 20s it's a phenomenally self-involved time for all of us
1: that's true, most of us don't share that with other people at scale I guess, okay. so I, so this is getting into personal hang up territory there's a lot of stuff that a lot of other people do that for me is in the category of no we don't talk about that because it's rude and if you get a book deal out of it that's monumentally rude
0: <laughs> I, I think it was originally it was a thesis mm-hmm. um, for a course but she's since done similar things with Age of License which again is another travel book based around Europe, I think partly based around Life of Oscar Wilde. Mm. Um, No, is that
2: what that became? Yeah.
0: Um, But this is, yeah, this is the thing that struck me from all of the reading that I've done for this is that travel comics, more so than travel writing in general, seem to be phenomenally maudlin for a large part.
1: There was nothing that I I felt really told me that much about a place. I didn't come away from it with a sense of place. I came away from it with a sense of individual reaction to and response to a place, which is... Maybe interesting, but probably less interesting.
0: Joe Sacco's books mm. are good for that. They're not really travel writing because, well, Palestine maybe, but not, you know, um, the ones based in Eastern Europe in the mid-90s. Mm. Um, they I mean, they're quite heavily based around interviews. And so they have a, a sense of place that comes from... I mean I I won't say more authentic you can't necessarily be sure because they're based around interviews. Mm. Um, He could have rewritten them and done what have you
2: but they're not all in his own words and they're not all in his own interpretation. Dalil's Jerusalem is a lot stronger on this stuff than Shenzhen. I mean Shenzhen's kind of an interesting portrait of it's arguably such a faceless place that it's okay to do what he did which is use it as a canvas to examine the alienation of a traveler that doesn't or can't or won't integrate um, which to an extent is all travelers but whatever um, in Jerusalem he talks to more people you see more interpersonal experiences you see more bits of the city it does more vignettes of place uh, it's still not great but it it does a bit, a bit more of that it shows you more of the place and shows you more kind of interrogation of what's going on he looks particularly at sort of churches or little bits of history uh,
0: so is I mean Jerusalem as it currently is is much more like a western city a lot of people speak English there's less isolation from yeah. that he was involved
2: in international community as well so had readily access to people who were fluent in different languages and could act
1: as guides. Nice. he was also there for considerably longer yeah. than most of his other yeah. I spent some time in a place books
2: and this so uh, Carnet de Voyage I, I think did also does a good and I think a visually better De little style is quite pared back um, a visually more exciting job of showing you bits of places mm-hmm. um, and yes there's the sort of self-pity and it, I thought it was a lot more self-aware than the whining in Shenzhen um, but it, I, for me some, okay, here, here's the thing that really surprised me looking at the, at the little bits and pieces which is I normally prefer a coherent structured narrative and you know something that fits together or something that's a bit more overtly structured these things are quite often flowing little sort of flow, not an emotional story but sort of flowing vignettes and it fit much better in travel for me than it would for a lot of other reportage or non-fiction or even for weirdly collage fiction. I found, felt myself massively more amenable to reading a loosely structured sketchbook that th- threw up these little things to examine and tied them together with the story, even if the story was personal bleating, than I, than I really thought I would. Um, so, yeah, Thompson in Morocco and, uh, to a lesser extent, the, the stuff in France... Here's a little thing. I'll show you an image of it. I'll tell you a story around it. I'll expand it a little bit more. I'll put it back in its box. That, that's a. I mean, that's a lot like the experience of trying to compress a lot of a lot of towns into a into two weeks on a train or something like this. I could get it as a model of travel. It sort of it it clicked together for me.
1: I think something I kind of have been reacting to negatively is. The inherent exoticization of any travel by a Western author for a Western audience, I don't. There's something, there's a kind of tension there that I can't quite resolve in myself between between sort of a place as it exists and the experience of the people who live there and that then packaged through someone else's eyes and experience for other people to consume. It just feels kind of weird. Um... And I get that's, that's sort of life to some extent. Well, the, well there's a, a risk of... Where
2: do, you, where do you want to put the slider, right? Because oh, yeah. I can tell you about the day I had
1: yesterday and that's doing that. Yeah. Um, but, it, but, it's not, but, it's not, but it's not Morocco, it's not China. It's no. not places that we've historically exoticized. So how
2: exotic relative to the viewpoint of the person you're talking to and how exotic you make it sound are dimensions and you can, you can move mm-hmm. those sliders... And at one end is batshit Orientalism, and yeah. somewhere in the middle is a reasonably fluent engagement with something that is actually manifestly different. I
0: thought Carné de Voyage was much better at that than um, the Guy de Lille books, even if... Significantly. You know, later on, there were some fairly significant problems with Orientalism in Habibi, for example. Yeah. But it didn't feel like it was there. I mean, it's there in the Morocco sections of Carné de Voyage to an extent, but it's also commented on self aware Um, that's not an excuse it's very very hard to observe these things for the first time with any sense of wonder Mm -hmm. and not come across as slightly galumphing when you try Mm -hmm. and represent and explain them Um,
1: and I guess the cynical part of me would say then don't try but that's kind of contrary to how most people work well I think
2: there's value in trying if you're amenable to
1: Being self-aware
0: about it, yeah. Another one which is quite interesting because it's someone travelling their own country, but it takes on the same um, sort of... um, Like, all of these take the form of a journey and some sort of learning or growth across them because they are narratives. Um, Some more than others, but that's what they are. There's one called 120 Days of Simon by a guy called Simon Gardenfors. He's Swedish, I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's a, a cartoonist and a rapper and it's about him basically documenting um, 120 days of him on tour traveling throughout Sweden um, trying to figure out his life. And it's really, really horrible um, in a uh, very, very um, lightweight light, sort of Gidele style, simple line work but much more drawn like something like a child's drawing almost. Very geometric. Mm. And and it's it sort of falls into the same sort of thing, but it's absolutely advanced sort of tournament level self-loathing. And it sort of feels like it feels like the, the absolute uh, apotheosis of, of these sorts of books of someone goes on a journey, it represents an actual journey of the mind, of the soul. Uh, and along the way they vomit a lot. Mm.
1: There's a lot
0: of vomit in these books. Mm. People get ill. Um, but the thing about 120 Days of Simon is it doesn't... It's it's someone's own culture, but it's still presenting that mm-hmm. um, journey narrative in the same way. It's quite interesting because of that. It's deeply uncomfortable in a lot of other ways. It's
1: Redeemingly, basically, redeemably so? As in, is it possible uh, to enjoy in spite of it being horrible, or is it too horrible to enjoy? I, I
0: think so. It's basically someone realising that his relationship with... Uh, women in the world in general is really really fucked up and trying to fix it mm. but in doing so you see that it's really really fucked up and he doesn't really shy away as portraying himself as a really quite a terrible person a lot of the
1: time mm. sounds interesting it
2: is and what was the other it was um, poor, poor So one of the other things
0: we looked at was poor craft I didn't it, get which that which was a kickstarter um, kickstarted book uh, about travelling when poor.
1: Yeah. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I realised this is a theme today.
2: <laughs> Have you liked anything at all in about the last 48 hours?
1: Yes. Excellent. I had.
2: Was it Hearthstone?
1: Yes. No. Um, I had some good aubergines at lunch. Uh, those fucking noodles with the cheese on them. Yeah. That noodly yeah. soup. Ugh. Oh, so fake chicken-tastic. So what um, was wrong with craft The problem with... Okay, so the problem with Pawcraft is I am not the target audience. Porcraft is for your cost-averse, hassle-compatible person. It is about getting yeah, the best possible deal by expending the most possible emotional and personal energy. So the shit it's telling you to do, like involves, you know, talking to strangers at bus stops to try and find out where the bus goes so you can get around for cheap. Um, going, staying at a hostel and getting to know everyone and cooking a big meal for them so you no, can be friends no. with them. I don't have the fucking energy to do all of that shit. I just want to spend some money so I can be on my own somewhere else. Yeah. So... Sorry, was that shouting?
0: I was uh, a little bit of shouting. I haven't checked the levels. Um... Yeah, that's a um, what I've taken to referring to a, a Boisean curve, <laughs> um, which is a straight line that goes off the top of the the. Uh
1: Recording terminal. Yeah. So there's, there's the legitimate economy travelling thing, right? Yeah. So, it's, it's going to be super useful for the people who are capable of doing that stuff.
2: <laughs> oh, God, no, 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 no. Because this is this is why I think things like that are bullshit. So there's there's the kind of my mad privilege, I will throw money at my problems to make them mm-hmm. go away because I have a nice middle-class job. That's fine. There's travelling with not very much money and trying to find ways around that to have a lovely time. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. We've and then there's it. the level of deifying your own yeah. fucking endeavour. For the sake of saving a few quid. And I'm willing to bet that most of the people who are willing to piss hours and hours of time and emotional effort mm-hmm. up the wall to get to know strangers at hospitals to save threepence halfpenny don't need to save the money. This is hobbyist level faffing. This is the kind of people who hang around on money saving forums to get the best possible deal on their fucking air miles, despite the fact that they have those air miles because they have the kind of job where a PA books them a billion flights.
1: It's also. Um, this is for nutcases. The way that the narrative unfolds basically is two characters. Um, penny and mill i think um and they basically mill is the extravagant person who makes all the mistakes she's the she's the fall guy and penny is the smug self-satisfied fucking forum checking cunt who tells you how to do it all right the other so the i guess the other thing i really struggled with is that the amount of emotional energy it would actually require to do this kind of makes it really really ableist You know the reason I can't do half this shit, or I'm not willing to do half this shit, is because my brain doesn't work right. This isn't really an option for Mm. me, and the way it's presented is as though it is the absolute truth and the best way of doing things, and that you would be a total fool. It's you know you're an idiot to have not. To to not no. be willing to engage with it. I seriously, I get out the checkbook. I would like a hotel room where I'd have to talk to anyone. If I didn't have to talk to them on the way in, that would be perfect. I go abroad to live in my little bubble somewhere else. And this you can't have a bubble if you're doing this. Which
2: is I mean, which is also not the experience for everyone, but if you present this as, as you say, the dogmatic, sensible, most thrifty most appropriate, thrifty Oh fuck that word.
0: Yeah, I didn't really go on with it either, yeah. but I'm
1: perhaps less vociferous. Um, just sort of wound me up spending my evening reading that so again, i, I mean, playing Hearthstone.
0: It, des- it desperately doesn't apply to me. I can't engage with the world in that way. When I was broke, I just didn't go on holiday. Yeah.
1: Um, I guess Which some has an
0: emotional s- cost of its own, but I still just don't engage with the world in the way that would be required. To that. pull this off. Yeah.
1: I guess, you know, to some extent I am lucky that I financially can afford to travel the way that I need to. But as you say, it's a question of either we don't do this or we do it the way that makes me not kill people.
2: Yeah. Broadly snap, I get kind of... I mean, I think I don't have quite an aggressive parade of the brain stuff, but I am... A massive fucking snob and an arsehole. And so certain types of travel are just gonna make me really cranky.
1: Right. I think next time my psychiatrist asks how my brain stuff is, I'll say it's an aggressive parade. Sorry was that. No, I loved it. It was wonderful.
0: So I, I, I think there will be people for whom that book is very useful. Yes. We are not definitely. those people. Let's try and end on a positive note, shall we? A feces free
2: <laughs> positive note.
1: Um well, Roger finally got that exorcism in the break. Yeah. So things are looking up. Un um, unhaunted of Boy Nodule. What's your positive contribution, Dave?
0: Um that I don't hate any of these things anywhere near as much as you two do. Um but that's that's broadly
1: Look my it, contribution.
2: Hatred. So but I don't know, I I discovered a thing, which is that a storytelling or or information delivering format I thought would really get on my tits didn't and I think works quite well for travel. I think that kind of semi-narrated sketchbook thing is a good way of doing this. I mean I could have probably you know not been an idiot and that wouldn't have been a surprise to me. Um, are there any I don't know if we want to say something nice. Is there anything we'd super recommend, or are there, have we have we, have we learned anything, or discovered anything that isn't my fatuous nonsense?
0: I uh, so one thing I would recommend is
1: um, Natalie Norvig stuff. Oh yes, we did not talk about that. That was really good. There we go. <sighs> Which was? This? She so. talked. It was mostly about safety while traveling. Was the one. Oh yeah. no, I did read that. Yeah.
2: So there's a whole bunch of things that she does, um, but kind of how not to be afraid and how to be positive whilst being sensible and yeah. not, uh, the sort yeah. of advice you would need
0: in order to make Pocock useful to you. Um, I
1: really got on with. I mean, it, it sort of feels like as part of a larger sort of social and cultural movement towards unpicking all the shit that women are programmed to believe about themselves and the world and the way that the world works in relation to themselves. It was one of those sort of, you know, growing up, everybody in her town would be worried if she took the bus on her own and said, oh, you can't possibly go there, You're, something bad will happen to you. And actually, the, thing, the way that restricted her life, she realised mm-hmm. that it was more worthwhile to do the things and take the risks than to be continually boxed in by the fear.
2: Oh, yes, she's got that wonderful string of visual metaphors with the boxed Barbie dolls and the not unwrapping collectibles.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, this is a lovely thing, but we've got to keep it perfect and save it for later so you can't possibly engage or interact with it. Oh God, it drives me nuts when people have the whole, I can't, X is too nice to use thing. My grandmother used to buy children's shit for us and keep it upstairs and not give it to us and occasionally not even tell us it was there. But it was for us, but it wasn't for us. We couldn't have it. But she bought it because of us. We found a boxed Barbie doll in her wardrobe after she died that's incredible and probably collectible along with the machete the dirty matchbooks and playing cards the £160 of co-op vouchers and the papers that said my granddad wasn't my real granddad anymore can I just a positive this, note
0: this is a nice funny little comic um from Natalie Norga again I'm not sure how her name's pronounced so I'm just gonna say uh, Talichik which is what she calls herself online
1: I struggle to not think of Nougat when I saw her surname. Yeah. Or Nugget, as people in Plymouth sometimes call it. People I'm related to. Well, my not grandmother anymore. used to say that. But she nugget. was from Lincolnshire. Maybe it's just an old person thing. Maybe. Did she ever refer to Nestle products as Nestle? Yes. Yeah, she yeah did not. it's a generation. Um, my dad's completely incapable of
2: pronouncing, reliably, consistently pronouncing a bunch of foreign loan words. I think it's just not fucking trying plus
1: being old. Plus maybe less exposure to other cultures at an early age.
0: Plus they've never done a podcast, so they haven't learned to instinctively apologise for how things are pronounced all the time.
1: That's true. That does teach you that. So, in summary then,
0: most travel comics really maudlin.
1: Often they make me angry, and I probably just shouldn't read them. That is true of objects. It's true of anyone's personal experience, and also any fiction anyone has created, because by creating fiction they're inherently less broken than I am.
0: You've written two three books
1: yeah before i was more fucked up than i used to be since not a shot not a jot not a dribble out of my haunted penis
0: but a lot of hearthstone a lot
1: of hearthstone i'm doing quite well on the ladder this month
0: we just need to find a really short
2: priest or quite a flexible one otherwise they're going to put their back out i um i wanted to read more travel comics it was a whole area i'd not been into and so i've been doing a lot more traveling um since I met my current partner who actually likes to travel and is motivated to think of destinations to go to as opposed to me just being a lazy fuck. Also you have like four now. You like to think of yourself as a fancy person as well. And yeah, it feels like the sort of thing that fancy persons should do. Mm. Um, pack up your steamer trunk.
1: Yeah. Pack up your little bags, go inside and return to Vienna where you belong. Yeah. Something like that. And That's what um, the countess says in the sound of music when she's leaving Gale.
0: I wouldn't know. And I was in Salzburg last year. That's so true. I still don't know. You didn't I avoided. Do it at all, did I you? haven't I seen that movie.
1: Um. What? Okay, we're having a podcast screening. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> no, I forbid
0: it. I would rather take the website down now <laughs> than watch The Sound I of Music. fuck all of
1: yous.
2: Um, but. I, so, I understand in a way that I didn't before the thing of go to a place and have a bunch of mental filters that, let, that help you look at yourself. I wouldn't write about it because I don't think me looking at me would be remotely interesting. But seeing. using changing context to see yourself is something I, you know, have become a bit more familiar with, and it is possible, I imagine, to write interestingly about that. But. <laughs> One of the things I really like about, I've started to really like about traveling is the reverse version of that, which is tourist destinations are a good place to see other people doing this and observe the bits of their originating cultures that they bring with them in their pocket. Mm. So bumping into other tourists is something that's kind of interesting. And reading, travel, writing is sort of in place as a version of that. So there's a little bit of the distillation of that experience that I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting watching people as tourists in Cambridge, which you think... Mm. Interesting and
1: infuriating,
0: because you, you sh- really want a blunderbuss.
1: It's also small as a place, and they yeah. take up a lot of the room it's and really, the pavements.
0: But it's really small, and you would think it wouldn't be that confusing or that fascinating for that long, but people do find it Inevitably. both confusing but and it's, fascinating. It's
2: really easy to spend a confusing and fascinating two days in um, Bruges, for instance, which is about the same size. Same or, yeah, Sul- topology. Salzburg as well. Yeah. Fuck Salzburg.
1: It's nice. It's
2: extraordinarily dull. Oh, I mean, I did it's not a very there. large dumpling, though.
1: <clears throat> Is that a euphemism?
2: No, it's a really big dumpling. It was like the size of a child's head. Fuck. I, there you can get some pretty big dumplings.
1: <laughs> and some extremely small ones. Yes. It's a. With, you know, with a queso variety variety of That's cheese, don't tempt not tempt the Kaiser. Me. <laughs> um, oh, God,
0: kaiser
2: special. Yes.
1: <laughs> you weird. guys are cute when you say I'm lats. I think part of the problem is that I just don't really enjoy travelling. I get the confused, but not the fascinated, and I find it quite stressful. A lot of other people want to walk around more than I do, and no one's really up for me sleeping as much as I want to. So getting places is hella stressful. Yeah, but when I'm there, I'm just like, what the fuck am I going to do? I don't want to look at anything particular. I do want to eat stuff, but that seems like a piss poor reason to go somewhere else and nah, eat that's stuff that's in my house. It's great. Yeah, but there's someone around when we go to an art gallery or something. I love
0: I'm, I made um, my family go to an art gallery in Salzburg again. That was quite nice. They the didn't zoo? think so. I could
2: go to the zoo. It's got a little. It's got a lift that goes up a mountain.
0: Yes. No, it's inside a cliff face. You walk into a cliff face. You go up on the lift, and then you're inside the art gallery. Okay. I've um, like pretty weird theory.
1: forms of transport: funiculars and cable cars, metro systems. Salzburg this has, I will a for. So, uh, has a funicular.
0: Prague has a funicular. And it goes, it goes up to. Um, it goes up to an astronomy place. Planetarium? Planetarium. Well, no, it's just an um, astronomy place. It's an astronomy place. It's a telescope dome, okay. you know, a star look dome. Observatory. Observatory.
2: Look. Star look dome. D- I'm
0: that
1: D- <laughs> here, clearly having a stroke, and you're just laughing at me. <laughs> just reminds me of that tweet where the person forgot the word for tumbleweed. <laughs> Just like, you know, like a collection of trash and grass, <laughs> rolling thing, I can't remember any of the words they used, but they were genius. They might also have been having a stroke. What do you smell, Dave? Toast. Yeah, that's a problem.
0: <laughs> and ghosts. Ghost toast. Yeah, if the 90s told me anything, it's that ghost and toast rhyme. Well, we've definitely covered travel.
1: It's exhaustive in Ghost Spunk. Goodbye. Yeah, fuck (laughs) y'all.
0: Be nice. Goodbye.
1: Bye.
2: i down I've let our listeners down I think I've let
1: you down You've lived, let the ghost that lives in your penis down It does seem sad